What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode 362 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday, August the 7th, and a podcast recording is uh, not going to be complete until we go through a lot of different things on this evening. I'm joined by Scott Coleman. And Scott, it was not the greatest weekend for the Atlanta Braves. Hey, Brad. No, it was not. Uh, the week started out pretty well with uh, a win over the Phillies to open up that series. And then you had, a, I think, a strong trade deadline uh, but yeah, it was not a good weekend for the Braves in New York. A lot of baseball left to be played, but I, I don't think anybody out there is feeling particularly warm and rosy after losing four out of five. However, we are still here, and as always, we will <laughs> dive through the week and and try to find some positives and also then look ahead, too. And, and as I said, there's just under two months to go, so it is not – I know there was some – some fatalism today on social media and on, on batterypower.com. There was a lot of baseball left to be played, bigger games, presumably, than the one that was played this weekend in New York. So uh, we got a ways to go. Yeah, we'll go through all of it. And uh, like you sort of touched on, it was not a lot of fun. Uh, there is a lot of baseball to be played. And you mentioned the deadline. I'll say this at the top of the podcast because I forget to say it later, but this is our eighth podcast already. In August, and it's August the 7th. We've been very busy on the feed between deadline stuff. Uh, you, you and I talked on Tuesday evening. There was an Austin Riley breakdown from Eric and Stephen and Sean. There was Chris and Stephen talking. There was Sean and Daily Hammer all week long. So there's been plenty of content. So please subscribe and tell a friend about the podcast. And listen, uh, I'm sure Braves fans listening to this podcast know what happened over the weekend, but the Braves suffered their first three-game losing streak of the entire season on uh, Saturday and Sunday in a two-day span. It was four or five in New York. They are now six and a half games behind the Mets in the division. And uh, it's kind of a grim moment to be recording the podcast, our normal time slot on a Sunday. But we will go back to the beginning of the week and also kind of fly through what transpired and also give some big picture uh, context. And um, I would say probably a relative lack of panic on this show compared to uh, the way that a lot of Braves fans were sort of taking it in. Maybe it's the uh, World Series hangover. Maybe it is the fact that uh, we just kind of look at this at, at the uh, standings and realize how much time there is left and uh, just the situation overall. But we'll get into all that as we always do on the podcast. Yeah. Um, we, we did touch on briefly when we talked on Tuesday that the Braves were winning comfortably in that game on Tuesday. We don't have to go all the way back to Tuesday's game, but they won. That was the one comfortable win of the entire week, really, was, uh, was Tuesday night. Um, slash, you know, afternoon, whenever they, they played that podcast and then uh, started playing that game. And then Wednesday, uh, kind of maybe it was a signal of what was to come the rest of the week because it was a pretty frustrating loss on Wednesday. Uh, not quite the high-profile loss that, um, that some of the other ones were to the Mets. But they lost to the Phillies by a 3-1 margin on Wednesday, and they were leading going into the eighth inning. And then uh, there was a there was a 
replay there was an overturn and then the next batter leaves the yard against Colin McHugh uh after after an apparent double play was was overruled and uh they had to you know kind of a you know the offense was not great necessarily it was one of those weird back and forth games and maybe uh one that I didn't seem like it was that important at the time necessarily but it was uh, certainly a maddening afternoon at the office and it kind of led into the rest of the week yeah if uh if there are any Braves fans who don't want to watch day games anymore I I would not blame you because for whatever reason, as good as this team has been throughout the year, even on this crazy good run they've been on for more than two months now, it, it's like a day game comes up or a getaway day uh, happens, and they just forget how to baseball. And some of these day games have been really frustrating. You mentioned it was a low-scoring game the entire way, one nothing, and then in a blink of an eye, uh, the game is tied, and then you gave up a home run to uh, Nick Castellanos, who had not homered for a month, a month before that go-ahead eventual game-winning homer. So it was just more of the same that you split the game on Tuesday and Wednesday with the Phillies. Ideally, you would have won both, but as you noted, not knowing what was going to happen over the weekend, uh, that was a tough one. It feels like it's been a theme the last few weeks that whenever the Braves are losing these these games close, they just, again, they're kind of reverting back a little bit to where they were earlier in the season where whenever they would lose, they would just find a new way to lose, whether it was a defensive miscue or even just some some bad luck, bad timing. As you noted, if if JT Realmuto is a half second slower coming out of the box, the Braves probably win the game. Uh, alas, they lose that one. They split the series uh, and then head to New York. You mentioned it, but just to throw out the numbers on day games um, and also series finales, uh, which they, of course, had a couple of those this week as well. Mark Bowman put this out there, but uh, the Braves are 2-10 and 10 in the last 12 series finales. There's just a lot of noise there, a lot of randomness, but just kind of a, weir- a weird, crazy stat. And also, the day game, night game splits are hilarious. The Braves are 16-22 and 22 in day games and 48-24 and 24 in night games. Uh, I don't know what to ex- explain that. I-, I think it's just I think it's just noise, but it is kind of hilarious to be honest. Like how crazy it has been and how long it's been happening because it's like now it's like we're, we're we're all expecting it. Anytime they play a day game, it's like all right, they're going to score two runs in this game. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be it. It is, um, man. It's I mean, we were joking like the Atlanta Vampires might need to be like the, the you know the the backup team name during those day games because just for whatever reason you mentioned it, it's probably just baseball randomness i can't imagine internally the braves prepare very differently for a day game versus a night game Uh, hitters in general have their quirks some guys prefer to hit during the day some guys like to hit at night um but regardless it's it's really been a weird trend and even you listed off the numbers for the entire year but again during this crazy run they're on since june 1st of their losses, I think they're 41 and 18 since the start of June. Of those 18 games they have lost, how many have been during the day? 12? I mean, maybe. Uh, it, it just, for whatever reason, it feels like they just they just don't show up against probably just one of those weird baseball things. But if anybody has the answers as to why this team like seemingly forgets how to baseball, <laughs> other than being really good during the night games most of the time, I don't know, man. It, it's just, it was like that year... Gosh, it's probably been four or five years now. That team that just could not win on Mondays. I think they started out like 0-11 on Mondays to begin the year. It's probably one of those silly, fluky things with baseball. But, man, it is uh, it is caught on. And I think it's even more frustrating now that, as you noted, going into day games, there's like this sense of, 
oh boy, here we go. They're, they're going to score one run and lose seven to one. Yeah, we're going to move on from this, I promise. But uh, just as a as a sampling, uh, a few teams that have better day game records than the Braves do this season, uh, the Pirates, the Cubs, and your Arizona Diamondbacks all have better day game records than the Braves this year. How about that? Sounds, and those, those teams are all like 20 games behind the Braves in the standings. So Sounds about right. It, it sounds similar. Wild. It sounds similar to the uh, record in extra innings with Manfred Ball. Three and like, six. I think three of like the four worst teams in the league in extra innings are the Braves, Astros and Dodgers, or maybe the Yankees Um, truly like three of maybe the four most talented rosters, one through 26, and they just can't win in extra innings. Uh, Yeah. Let's hope Brad by the powers that this podcast holds that by really lamenting and talking about it, this team starts to find a way to win a few day games because it really is becoming uh, pretty frustrating. And I don't know, man, just one of those things. That would be nice. Um, obviously, we'll spend most of the rest of the podcast on the Mets series, which covers five games in four days. And we'll start with Thursday, uh, a 6-4 loss to the Mets. They were down 5 nothing really quickly on Thursday. Kyle Wright did battle and complete six innings, but he was not his best in that start. Um, the one probably bright spot was Ronald Acuna hitting a pretty badly needed home run. He was much better this week, which we'll come back to later on in the show. Um, and I'll just say this, um, I agree with this, but there was some consternation out there about um, your guy, Wild Bill Contreras, never seeing the plate in that game when there were some opportunities late in that contest to potentially pinch hit him when they need a, a big a big swing to uh, close the gap. Um, that stuff can be a little bit overplayed, but I was uh, sort of in agreement with it overall. But it wasn't like that was a game that was necessarily a disaster. But when you get down 5 nothing in a hurry, you're kind of just braced for a loss. And they had some chances that just never came, never came together. Yeah. And, you know, my my top line takeaway from the series was this. This was probably the biggest series the New York Mets have played in close to six years. I went back and looked. They were last in the postseason in 2016. Uh, They were decidedly pretty bad in 2017, 2018. They were okay in 2019. In 2021, last year, of course, they fell apart in August and September. And then the COVID year, they were below 500. And that was such a a weird year. But I don't think it's hyperbole to say this was the biggest series for the New York Mets organization in six years. And they showed up to play. you, You talked about the Mets jumped on Kyle Wright early on Thursday. I think within three batters, the score was already one nothing. Uh, the Braves did battle back a little bit to make the Mets sweat, but Man, I mean, the Mets deserve credit uh, because to me, it really did feel like for such a big series for their organization, um, you know, they showed up and, and frankly, the Braves didn't. They got hit in the mouth early and basically every game played over the weekend other than that Friday night one, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But man, I mean, credit to New York. They were ready to go. The Braves were lackadaisical. Um, I can't tell you how many one, two, three innings the lineup had. It felt like you know, the Braves would come up and our offensive innings would last two minutes. And then the Mets would go up there and foul off a bunch of pitches, work the count, get on. Um, and again, there's this whole debate going right now about how New York approaches offensively versus how the Braves approach offensively. And we could discuss ad nauseum for four hours <laughs> about, is it better to hit home runs with that instant impact, that quick strike ability that we saw as the Braves won a World Series last year, by the way, right? Is that is that friendly reminder if anyone's lamenting the 
home run and strikeout proneness of this lineup or the New York Mets approach where I think the entire weekend the Mets hit one home run, maybe two. Is that right? Like they put the ball in play. That's how they do it. They rely on contact to put the ball out there, see what happens. There's no one way to be a good, effective offense, but man, um, again, credit to New York. They showed up and the Braves did not. Yeah. I mean, I think we could, go into like the the broader appeal of the whole series and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, there's the debate about the offensive approach. There's there's sort of a, an ever-growing debate about how lucky the Mets are this year, which we've sort of discussed a few different times. And uh, I will certainly say that if you look at the batted ball data for the season, you would not conclude that the Mets have been quite as good as their record indicates. But uh, it is kind of just a, a full circle thing. And honestly, Braves fans don't want to hear this now because of the way, the way the series went, which I, do, I definitely understand that. But if you take a step back it is kind of nice to have like the vitriol back in this matchup for me as like a long time observer of that. I'm not sure how you feel about this stuff, but like as a long time, uh, especially, you know, Mets observer, like we, you and I, we, I don't, I'm older than you, but you're old enough to remember when the Braves and the Mets were like the rivalry for a while during the chipper era and all that stuff. And like, there was some real venom there. It seems like it's back. Like it seems like Braves fans and Mets fans were going at it like crazy all weekend. And obviously the Mets have the upper hand at the moment because they're winning the division and they won the series, et cetera. And that's no fun for Braves fans, but uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot of stylistic things. There's there's a lot of like actual animus going on between the two sides. And uh, I'm sure the Braves would love and will love to have them come back to Atlanta in the near future because the Braves, the Mets come to Atlanta seven more times this season. But um, it was a it was a fun um, sort of atmosphere, I'll say. Now, not a not fun results for Braves fans to go one and four over the weekend. But I agree with your take overall, by the way. Like it is interesting sort of context to say that it is the biggest series the Mets have played in a long, long time. And, you know, some teams will sort of shrink from that. They didn't in this spot. Um, I still always kind of lean toward the prior of the Mets becoming the Mets at some point and kind of just doing Mets things and falling apart. But this year they have not done that. And they showed up in this series, but didn't. I think I agree with what you said. Yeah. No, and again, the Mets are a good team. Like there's no, are they lucky? Yes and no. I mean, we're, we're a hundred, <laughs> we are a hundred and ten games into the year, and they have comfortably had one of the best records since day one. So, sure, do they? They have an absurd number of infield hits. Like they have a hundred and sixty infield singles through a hundred and ten games, or something crazy like that. That that is not sustainable. That is things bouncing your way. But guess what, man? The Braves have won the division four years in a row. We all know how the Braves had a few things go their way. How many times during those, especially the 2018 and 2019 teams that were talented, but maybe not as talented as the ones in recent years, where the Braves would be playing like poop, they'd be down three to one, and in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden they would mount a comeback in five minutes and they win the game. And you and I would do this podcast and go, wow, they kind of stole that one. It feels like the Mets are doing that this year. Uh, they are a good team. They're talented. We will ultimately see where it all ends out in October. That's where fans ultimately, right? That's where seasons ultimately lie for fans. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it was a, I said going into the series on Thursday, and then we'll move on. The Braves could not win the East this weekend because of the three and a half game deficit they had going in. Um, I thought it was possible to lose it, though that would have meant a sweep, and there was not a sweep. And as we will look ahead, um, you know, the, the season is not over by any means. I don't want folks listening to think that we're waving the white flag by any means. Um, but again, New York 
in all of the matchups this year. I believe they've played 12 games now and the Mets are eight and four. Uh, New York has been the better team this year so far, and we'll see where everything ultimately ends in the beginning of October as the regular season wraps up. But um, it was a uh, it was an eye opening weekend, I think, is probably how I would uh, look at it. Yeah, that's a good uh, what's up table a little bit. We're going to talk about the uh, the one and only win on Friday, then the doubleheader on Saturday, and then another loss on Sunday. But before we get to all of that stuff and much more with myself and Scott, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Scott, let's start with the positive. And that was Friday's win. Even that was a little bit of a roller coaster ride. They did take an eight nothing lead um, in a hurry, just absolutely teed off on Taiwan Walker, who is usually quite good. He just didn't have anything on Friday. The, the Braves just mauled him, basically. Rosario was uh, alive and well with three run homer. Michael Harris had a home run. Um, Ronald Acuna robbed a home run defensively. He had four hits on Friday. Lots of positives on offense in a way that. The rest of the series, they kind of just did not a lot on offense, but they were really good for you know, two, three innings on Friday. And uh, before we get into Ian Anderson's uh, whole debacle and also his uh, interesting situation now, uh, it was nice to just look up at the television. My brother's birthday was on Friday. I was sort of out with people watching the game. And I looked up a few times. It was like, okay, three nothing. Now it's five nothing. Now it's eight nothing. It's like, okay, this might be an easy night at the office. Now, actually, they got a little bit threatened at the end of the game. Uh, it was never that close, but uh, a nice a nice win that they actually kind of, I, I guess, in retrospect, kind of really had to get because uh, being down eight and a half games now would have been pretty disastrous. Yeah, it was it was a nice reminder of how good this team is when everything when you know when things are going their way, right? You had a couple of home runs. Um, they, I mean, it was an extra base hit parade early on, and uh, you know, without knowing what was going to transpire in the following three games on Saturday and Sunday, it felt really important, especially knowing that DeGrom and Scherzer were looming over the weekend, uh, that you won that game on Friday night and the bats showed up. I mean, they showed up early, at least. They had a couple of opportunities in those middle innings to blow the game open. They let New York hang around a little bit, although... Uh, if memory serves, I don't think the tying run ever even came to the plate in that game. So it was not like it got out of hand close. Uh, but yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, that Friday night was kind of the really the one and only. I mean, was were those the only innings the Braves led the entire weekend on believe, Friday night? I, I believe so. I mean, I, I'm trying to think now. Trying to think now. Um... Because they were down, they were down immediately on Thursday. They oh. were down. Yeah, they, they, that's. I'm pretty sure that was it for the weekend. Yep. Uh, yeah, so at least we had Friday night. That was a nice moment. It, as I said a few minutes ago, it was you had to win at least one game. You could not get swept in New York. Thankfully, the Braves won on Friday night. 
again, it was just the offense was just so sporadic. And then whenever you're trying to play from behind the entire weekend, that that's difficult to do. Yeah. So with that out of the way, they win the game Friday. And that is the important context It is a little bit funny because the game that they won in the series was one that was pitched by Ian Anderson, who uh, has been pretty bad for a while. You and I talked uh, earlier. Uh, also, Eric, and I talked about uh, Ian pitching better in his last start against Arizona, although it was Arizona, uh, which is also keeping that in mind. But he was quite bad on Friday. He was staked to an eight nothing lead and could not finish the fifth inning. He gave up 11 base runners and only got 14 outs. He had more walks than strikeouts on Friday night. And uh, it wasn't immediately after that. They waited until Sunday morning that the Braves chose to option Ian to the minors. Now, that in itself is interesting. There is more context now than when they did that. Um, at the time, we, we kind of didn't know. We kind of just assumed he's going to get sent down and whatever happens now. But it's been reported now by both Mark Bowman and Dave O'Brien, uh, basically what I believe to be a, a team spokesman, let them know this. The Braves are playing to have Ian start on Saturday in a doubleheader with the Marlins and have him be the 27th man for that game. So there's no penalty to have him come back up and pitch that and pitch that day. And they're actually keeping him with the taxi squad with the big league club. And then the plan apparently is to have him make a couple quote starts for Gwinnett after that. So basically they're optioning him down. He's not going down just yet. He's going to pitch for the Braves in the big league club in, in the big leagues on Saturday and then he's going to the minors. Like, as our fearless leader, Chris Willis said uh, offline, I believe online as well today, what happens if he pitches well on Saturday? Does he still go to the minors? I have no idea. But it's a very weird situation. I'll just say this. He's not pitched very well for quite a while now. So him being optioned, I know people were surprised. I really wasn't. He looked pretty bad again on Friday. But, like, what do you make of all this? Because it's very, very strange the way they actually just handled this. Hmm. So, uh... I was all in favor of sending Ian down to work with Mike Moroth, see what happens in Gwinnett. What he was doing was not sustainable, as as we have talked about. Folks know that even in his good starts, there was some, some cause for concern. Um, I hadn't thought about what happens if he pitches well against the Marlins next weekend. That's kind of a funny hypothetical. Um, you know, I, I think I would lean towards the process over results of the Marlins are in bad shape right now. Like half of their lineup has been hurt. So even if he goes out there and hopefully he covers five or six innings and does a nice job for the team, it's it's not like he's this horrendous pitcher who can't make it out of the second inning most of the time. But especially with Jake Odorizzi in the mix and you have quite a few days off over the next few weeks, I think it's worthwhile. I, I don't think what Ian is doing right now is sustainable. We know, we have seen firsthand that he is a better pitcher than this. And, and sometimes during the ups and downs of a long major league season, you need that opportunity to hit the reset button. Maybe they work on something mechanically. Maybe they try to, maybe there's something men mentally that he's having issues with. Uh, maybe it's just, uh, just just a mental breather from the high stakes, high pressure uh, of pitching every five days in a pennant race, uh, whatever it is, I think it's worthwhile. I do think there could be an interesting hypothetical in a week's time, uh, depending how he pitches against Miami. Uh, I guess if he would like go out and absolutely dominate and strike out like 10 batters, maybe you have a different conversation, but ultimately I'm I'm in favor of getting him down there for a few weeks, especially while you have the, luxury of of the extra starter now as well as as the days off 
Yeah, it is very odd. It feels like, and this is this is me speculating, not being reported by anybody or me. It feels like they want him to go to Gwinnett, but they also believe that he is better than their other options in that double header start. Like it's basically like, okay, we still think Ian at right at, at this point right now is better than Kyle Muller and better than Enoa and better than Bryce Elder. So we're gonna pitch him because the game matters on Saturday with with the Marlins, but we still want to have him go to Gwinnett. That's, that's kind of what this feels like to me. So I have no issue with that necessarily. Um, I think he should, as you just said, kind of go to Gwinnett and figure it out. I think Odorizzi is probably better at this moment. So you kind of just roll with that. That's part of the reason to have Odorizzi around now is to kind of provide that depth and flexibility. But at the same time, you know, Anderson has, as we talked about a lot, and so we'll have to do the whole thing again, but he has been a good pitcher in the past. He is still very young. There's no reason to think he can't be that guy again. It's just not happened this year. The numbers are pretty grim. I won't go through them all, but um, he does not presently qualify for the ERA title in the National League. But if you lowered the threshold to, let's say, 80 innings instead of whatever whatever the number is at this moment in time, he is a bottom 10 ERA in Major League Baseball among starters who would qualify 80 innings. That's really bad. Like, no matter what, no matter how you spend that, the peripherals are a little bit better than that, but um, it's not it's not been very pretty um by the way i thought it was funny also that they uh they called up enoa and basically told everyone it was because they wanted to add another arm to the bullpen then strider threw two and two-thirds innings on sunday and Enoa didn't pitch anyway so uh, that was a funny uh yeah. <laughs> that was a funny confluence <laughs> of events it's like yeah. okay, we, we badly need this guy for innings on sunday and he didn't even pitch when strider couldn't get out of the third inning so who yeah. knows what the, who knows what's going to happen there? I, I kind of doubt that Enoa is going to be long for this world with the Braves. Um, I do kind of think that Enoa could be interesting as a bullpen arm, but they're still starting him in, in AAA. He's been bad this year. So uh, just for anybody that just saw that result and thought, okay, the Braves are trying to replace quote-unquote Anderson with Enoa, that's not the plan, I don't think. No, I, I would not be surprised at all. I mean, heck, by the time people are listening to this, maybe it'll already be announced that I think Kirby Yates is ready. He pitched back-to-back days earlier this week and then pitched again on Sunday with Gwinnett. So I would imagine that uh, Waskar will be optioned back uh, for Kirby Yates to help out in the bullpen. Uh, The Braves are off on Monday. So perhaps on Tuesday that move gets announced, but uh, you know, with Ian and I'm guilty of this too, Braves drafted him when he was a very young, 18 years old, he was a young prep arm. So I think for a lot of us in our heads, When we think of Ian, we think of him as 26, 27, or at least I do. He's 24 years old. He is 18 months older than some of the kids who got picked in the draft a few weeks ago. So he is still very young. Uh, He is far from a finished product. So for all of those reasons that we have seen him be successful before, the age, the strikeouts have not been there, but it's not like he doesn't have stuff. The changeup is good. The fastball is a little, eh, he has no spin on the fastball, which is a little odd. It's kind of an, an old school fastball compared to the way guys throw it today. But again, it's a lot easier to try to make those mechanical adjustments uh, in AAA when, when you don't have 40,000 eyeballs on you. Uh, so if, if it helps Ian long-term, maybe even short-term, we're all worth it at this point. I'm not sure what good it is to send him out there to the Wolves every five days in the majors. And, and who knows, maybe... Uh, we there is a history of uh, recent history of players on this roster now who have gone to AAA, worked with Mike Moroth, who is the pitching coach down there, and have come back to find some really great success. Kyle Wright, AJ Minter. It's easy to remember that 
or easy to forget that AJ Minter was really bad at a certain point last year, went down to AAA, found himself, and then found himself as part of the one of the greatest bullpen runs in World Series history. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be beneficial. I hope it's beneficial for Ian. Uh, we will see how long they keep him down there. But I, I again, I, I just I just don't think you can keep sending him out there every fifth day as as he currently stands. Yeah, I agree. One more data point. Uh, he is about two and a half years younger than Kyle Wright, which I'm people I'm sure people don't understand that 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 disparity necessarily. Again, he's yeah. two and a half years younger than Kyle Wright, who and Kyle Wright, of course, is like just coming up and being sort of a full time guy for the first time this year. And uh, yeah. That that is noteworthy. Uh, that does not say that I think I still think that Wright has a you know has a better path at this point than Anderson does. But um, I, I think it's important not to bail on, on Ian Anderson. Like I think his present day quality and his future um, should be treated differently at the moment. So we'll see how that all goes. But uh, I think he'll at least if I had to bet if I had to bet he'll throw at least once and go net. But it won't be this week. So it seems like it's, he's not going to pitch again until Saturday in the big leagues. Um, moving on from Friday. And getting into Saturday's doubleheader sweep loss, um, uh, the opening game of that doubleheader was Jake Odorizzi's debut. Uh, he was not particularly effective. He actually, as discussed on Tuesday between the two of us, actually, he isn't like a huge like stuff guy. He gets by really um, by getting soft contact, and uh, he just wasn't hitting his spots on Saturday. He threw 53 strikes in 96 pitches. Uh, he's going to have to be better than that at throwing strikes. But um, there was some pretty uh, unbelievable batted ball data, which we talked about a little bit earlier, but the Braves were down 2 nothing at the end of the first inning. Um, and it was like all just hilarious, like 120 expected batting average hits from the Mets. And Robbie Grossman hit a line drive that had an 820 XBA for the third out with the bases loaded in the first. And the Braves were down 2 nothing. It was like, okay, one of those days again, I guess. But um, I mean, Odorizzi wasn't good. He wasn't disastrous, and I think the uh, from what I could tell, lining up his his data versus the rest of the season, he just wasn't hitting his spots in the way that he had previously. So I'm not really like worried about that. It's just like he wasn't he wasn't crisp. He wasn't crisp, and I'm sure he had some adrenaline flowing with his first start, big crowd in New York. Um, he, I think, what we saw as long as he can uh, figure out his command a little bit. He kept looking back at the mound a little while, whenever he would sail a pitch high, I wonder if maybe he just didn't have great footing or whatever it was, but yeah, that, that's kind of who, who he is. And there's a reason I know folks maybe had, you know, big time expectations for Jake Odorizzi, but at the end of the day, there is a reason the Houston Astros who I believe now have the best record in the major leagues, or maybe second best record in the major leagues, traded him for Will Smith. Now, that's not to say that Jake Odorizzi is at the same level of Will Smith or anything like that. You and I both really like that deal, both short-term and even potentially down the road. Uh, but that that's kind of who he is. If he can improve his command a little bit, you noted he really didn't give up any hard contact, which is encouraging. If he went out there and gave up like five doubles that were just smoked into the gap, then it's like, okay, you know, what did we just sign up for here? Um, there was a lot of soft contact. Really, that first inning that you noted was kind of a, a good synopsis for the entire series with some of the batted ball luck the Mets had. And again, man, look, you put the ball in play. If you get a hit, that's the name of the game. You want to get base hits. Um, it was just an unfortunate and unlucky start for him. Uh, but I, I was not alarmed. Sure, do I wish he wouldn't have made that unfortunate throw over to first cost yeah. the Braves a run that that was bad 
Um, and I'm not sure what he was trying to do there. There was two outs and I think even a strike already on the batter. So, you know, just focus on the hitter. Uh, but that first inning wasn't bad. And hopefully he's able to find his command a little bit more and then work a little deeper into the game. Really, astonishingly, the Braves as starters have been horrendous against the Mets. Like not just this weekend, but all season long. Some of the worst starts the Braves' starting five have made all year were against New York. And I know the Mets do a nice job of working the count. They foul off pitches. Like, I'm pretty sure Brandon Nimmo isn't actually trying to get a hit most of the time. He's just up there flailing his bat to try to foul a couple balls off. Like, you can do it. Go for it, man. That's in the rules. But uh, really, across the board, it was a theme that the pitching staff did not pitch well this weekend or really in any of these games against New York. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's about right. Um, no, I I think it's not time to panic at all about Odorizzi. It's kind of where I'll leave it. I think he's fine. He's the same guy that, that they traded for, and like you did, like like you said, he's not gonna. He's never gonna be sexy anyway. Um, the rest of that game was largely uneventful. They did, um, I guess, properly use Bryce Elder. Uh, Elder Elder was the twenty seventh man for the day, and he came in down five nothing in the sixth and finished the game. And that's the way it's supposed to work. You bring in the guy to uh, who doesn't really matter what he does to get through through the day, save your bullpen a little bit. That was effective. Um, they did get four hits in a row in the ninth to kind of threaten what became an eight to five loss. They made that made the Mets burn Edwin Diaz in the in the first game. Um, it didn't matter; they, they still lost the game. But uh, that was the only thing that I'll I guess worth mentioning. Uh, you mentioned the pickoff throw that Odorizzi had on, on, in the early game on Saturday. Um, that's a good time to kind of mention that the defense was quite bad all day on Saturday. I don't know what was, if there was something in the air up at City Field, um, but they really kicked it around uh, in the early in the evening game, I should say. Dansby had a rough day at the office. He's usually quite good defensively. He was quite not good defensively on Saturday night. And then Austin Riley made a total mess of six inning with an error, another bad throw that cost them a run. And also that bad throw was on the Darno injury. Might have been uh, saved if he had, had a better throw at home on that play. So um, defense was definitely... Uh, one of the problems, I'm not saying it was the only one on Saturday, but in the combined 14 to seven loss, they probably gave up, I don't know, three or four runs def- defensively, if not more than that, just on straight bad defense. So that's, uh, that might've cost them potentially a win in one of those games if they played their defense. Yeah, it was sloppy. I mean, if you, if you asked me to describe these five games in one word, sloppy might be the word that I would go with. I mean, just from the very start and you mentioned um, you know, poor defense. Thankfully, it's it's honestly a miracle that Travis Darno was not seriously hurt in that collision with Pete Alonso, who runs like what 250 pounds conservatively. I mean, he's a he is a tank, and at full speed, Alonso ran into him in his lower body, too. It sounds like Travis will be okay, maybe miss a couple of games this week and then be back on the weekend. But uh, yeah, just bad decision making, man. It was like the Braves forgot how to baseball for like 92 hours in in New York or however long they were there. Agreed. Uh, the, other, the other big problem in the Saturday evening game was Max Scherzer being Max Scherzer. Uh, they just had nothing against him whatsoever. He struck out 11 with no walks, gave up four hits, no earned runs. He was just his absolute dominant self. On Saturday, that happens every once in a while. Uh, you would think the Braves would be a little bit more able to produce something against him um but it is uh it is what it is um no i think that it's going to be interesting to see like what happens with you know how they face them more if they obviously they're gonna see the mets more but uh the scherzer Degrom thing as we get into sunday might be a little bit scary because those guys are really really good when they're dialed in not a problem um 
you know, the other big thing was, you know, the Darno thing. Uh, Darno leaves the game, X-rays negative, walking boot, etc. The Braves did say that they, 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 they believe they'll, they'll be back again this weekend. Um, roster move-wise, they had to do something because they couldn't just go with Contreras by himself for three or four games, as it might be at this point in time. So they called up Chadwick Trump and an option to Guillermo Heredia. Um, it, it seems like Heredia is going to be on the Ian Anderson plan of just kind of being around the team on the taxi squad and not actually going to Gwinnett. And then I think as soon as Darno comes back, they'll probably DFA Trump and bring uh, bring Heredia back. So if you are a Guillermo fan, like I think we all are, I assume he'll be back pretty soon. But that was kind of the no-brainer move to do that. They had to get another catcher on the roster, so that's kind of the only way to do it. Um, I have no other takes on that particular game it is what it is no i'm just glad that guillermo and his swords get to hang around because we need him i mean (laughs) now more than ever a nation yeah a nation turns its eyes to guillermo heredia and his pink pirate swords that we all love so so much big vibes guy guillermo um all right so sunday was as we're recording this now the earlier today game um the, before the game even started, a little bit of uh, consternation about Ronald Acuna being scratched with lower body soreness. The Braves uh, said that they didn't want to play him playing on the wet turf up in New York. Um, I, we got a couple of people after last week's podcast talk about how we had not been critical of Ronald Acuna. Uh, we kind of have just pointed out that he's not been very good for a while. Uh, obviously, uh, we expressed the thought, I know I did, that I'm not really worried about him. I'm still not worried about him whatsoever. And we actually saw him play pretty well this week. The first six games of August, he is 9 of 24 with a homer and two doubles. OPS over 1,000. Looks like himself. He's running. He's playing better defense this week, etc. And uh, as we talked about a lot, the season-long numbers are still really good at the plate. Um, Peripheral-wise, like he's in, the, he's in the 90th percentile or higher in hard hit rate and ex-WOBA. Exit velocity, slugging expected, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm not worried at all. And obviously they, they kept saying repeatedly today that it was precautionary on Ronnie. But uh, so assuming that's true and he's actually ready to go on Tuesday, um, did you see what you wanted to see from Acuna this week? Because uh, obviously he had not been playing well for a while. Yeah, I think if we are looking for the biggest positive takeaway from this very frustrating series, it's that Ronald was very good and looked like himself. Both offensively and defensively uh, he had the big home run on i think uh, friday night thursday night it all it all blends together at this point but had the big home run he had a four hit game which is really good four singles which uh ha- have been eluding him a little bit um, he made a couple of terrific defensive plays as well in right field um, even and then those little plays too with his speed in the outfield where he can get to baseballs that a lot of guys can't and then limiting them to just singles instead of doubles uh, with his big arm is really helpful as well. Uh, Even on Sunday, as he was scratched, he had a pinch hitting appearance and hit the ball really hard. It was an out. It was right at him, but he hit the ball hard. It was a barrel. Uh, So if we are trying to find the positive here, uh, a week that did not have a lot of them and an on-field Uh, perspective ronald did look good hopefully this launches him into a really strong finish over these final two weeks or two months rather because as we know when ronald is right and going like we know he can go he just completely changes the dynamic of this team of this lineup and uh if he has to sit out just with the soreness you mentioned the wet grass that that's fine again we're we're just over a year removed from the acl surgery Uh, you do not want to push him too much as we have said time and time again, 
there are bigger games on the horizon than this one. Um, and thankfully, it, it really did seem precautionary, which was encouraging. Yeah, and uh, we'll leave that there for now. If he, if he plays Tuesday, then no one, no one should be worried about that whatsoever. Um, one more addition to the hilarious uh, batted ball stuff file from this weekend uh, was the third inning for the Mets on Sunday in which they let it off with an infield hit that had a bloop single that had a two run double for the first runs of the day uh, of the day that actually hit the bag. It was a grounder that hit the bag <laughs> that went for a two run double. This um, was, uh, this uh... <laughs> was the exact moment, Brad, that Scott turned off the baseball game on Sunday afternoon. I the don't, I, I don't blame you. What's exact moment. Exactly. No, <laughs> and I, right after that, there, there was a legit hard hit double, um, the chase, the, the chase strider and it was four, nothing in the third. That was it for strider. Um, other than that, like, Jacob deGrom as just an appreciator of baseball Jacob deGrom was absolutely absurd on uh on Sunday until he gave up a home run to Dansby Swanson um and he had a no hitter going into the sixth and that ended his day as well he I guess he, he had a pretty limited pitch count as he returns back from injury but man deGrom was uh just objectively unbelievable on Sunday I think the first like 16 or 17 sliders that he threw were not hit by the Braves they were all like swings and misses it was just it was it was absurd like he was yeah. uh he was dialed in we should refer to him as future Atlanta Brave Jacob Degrom. That'd be nice. Just a Buster Olney who reported yeah. that. By the way, if, you, if you're if people if people missed that, uh, yeah. it was it was at a really random time too. It was like during the season. Yeah, yeah, it was during the season. He was still hurt, and it was like uh, a weird national report from Buster, who's a credible person. It was like look for Jacob Degrom to be pursued by the Braves. Like what? That was pre-deadline, all that stuff. I'm not sure if that was uh, affected by the Austin Riley extension or anything like that, but Hey, bring it on. Degrom is uh, yeah. the best in the business when he's actually right and healthy. He's not always healthy, but he's no. been really good when he is. No, he, as you said, as casual observers, it stinks that he is on the Mets. If the Braves don't shell up the money to sign him as a free agent, Hopefully he goes somewhere other than New York because I like watching him pitch. I don't like watching him pitch when, as you said, I mean, it was like the invisible baseball for the early innings today for, for the Atlanta lineup. Yeah. And there was, there were some shadows too, which I'm sure made it a little even harder for the offense, but uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. It's tough to watch if you were a Braves fan. Um, That's all we got on the, on the series. We'll come back and do some look ahead stuff at the end of the podcast, talk about the deficit, the percentages and all that stuff. There is a little bit of news quickly to hit on the last couple of days. Um, I know you and I both noticed this, the the Liberty Media financial announcement on Friday, in which they basically announced, uh, in short, that they are printing money. Um, They reported $260 million in revenue for the April through June quarter, uh, about a 20% increase from last year and a 25% increase from 2019. Obviously, the pandemic year you kind of have to throw out, but they are really printing money, as we've kind of speculated on. Now it's, now it's actually just kind of true. They're also on pace to surpass $3 million in attendance this year, and that's in a smaller ballpark. Um, Truist, for those of you that, not, that did not live around Atlanta, like Scott, um, is notably smaller than Turner Field was. Um, so if they actually get the $3 million in attendance, that'd be the first time since 2000. Uh, they, it's a lot of, obviously, the World Series revenue, all that stuff. Let's just say, the big takeaway here, I'm not sure if it was for you, Scott, but for me it was like, we knew they were printing money and they really are printing money at this point. Yeah. Oh, it, it's no doubt. And they're going to continue printing money. Um, it was kind of maybe overlooked or we talked about it on that Tuesday night trade deadline podcast, but Mark Bowman, who Bowman has been covering the Braves since 2001 for MLB.com. He is not somebody who is 
prone to hyperbole very often. He is very connected in, at least internally with the organization. Uh, He kind of casually mentioned that the Braves think they will be carrying a top five payroll here in the coming years. Uh, Those, those financials, and again, it's all public, you know, it's a publicly traded company. So all of those numbers are out there for anyone to go look up. Um, those numbers support that. Now, you know, it, it's too early to have any kind of an idea of what the Braves' payroll number will be next year. I always think the number game every year in Thopolis gets asked, like, what's your payroll going to be? And it's kind of funny because one, a general manager would never divulge that. And two, you know, at a certain point when you're you're carrying a payroll upwards of 180 to 200 million, maybe even above that, at a certain point, it's not necessarily the number, but just how you're spending the money. Uh, just because you can spend the money, you don't necessarily want to spend the money. I think the Philadelphia Phillies are probably a prime example of that uh, way of thinking. But uh, yeah, it's it's good to be the Atlanta Braves. The accountants are very busy. I wish uh, whenever you read that, Brad, I wanted our podcast intern to like play the cash register ka-ching <laughs> noise or something like that, because man, uh, those are big time numbers. And I would imagine as we get into the summer months and hopefully have some real games to be played in the final quarter in October, uh, we know it is very good for business when your team wins and makes a deep run in the postseason. It sure is. And uh, we'll touch on this as we always do in the offseason, just kind of how it impacts payroll. But clearly, uh, this kind of backs up what we're already thinking about. I agree with you on what you said about Boma. He's not going to just throw it out there with, with no evidence and all that stuff, too. So they'll hopefully spend and support this roster in the way that, it, that they possibly can at this point in time. There's been a notable uptick in spending, which is obviously all you want to see if you are a fan of a team. Um, Injury-wise, some things to hit on quickly. Um, Snicker said on Thursday that Ozzy Albies is starting to ramp up a little bit. He played catch this week. They're, of course, thinking about like early to mid-September, according to Anthopolis, from earlier this week. Um, that'd be like three-ish months since he uh, got hurt on June 13th. So that kind of tracks. And uh, Soroka is going to be doing some simulated games soon, getting closer to a rehab assignment. But it's still uh, – well, he's not even doing simulated games yet. A pitcher has not pitched in a long time. Uh, you kind of have to assume it's probably going to be next year for Soroka at this point in time, but nothing has been officially said. And lastly, Darren O'Day, who I honestly almost forgot about in some ways because of, because of Kirby Yates, but Darren O'Day is still an organization and on a rehab assignment. He's, he pitched in Rome on Friday. He could be there as an insurance option late in the season. And uh, while he's not always been fantastic, he, he has been better than people think that he's been in the last couple of years. One healthy. The problem with O'Day is he's always hurt, but when he's healthy, he's actually been pretty, pretty okay. So that's um, three relatively encouraging updates. Obviously Ozzy is, an, is a, a tier by himself in terms of importance, of those three guys for this season, they badly need Ozzy to be available at some point in the near future. But um, all three of those were at least mildly encouraging. Yeah, they are. And we'll see. I kind of laugh, you know, the Darren O'Day injury happened very conveniently when they needed another roster spot to open up. So uh, is he hurt? Isn't he hurt? I don't know, man. But like, it's one of those things where teams I think have a little bit of flexibility with their rosters and, uh, you know, the Braves, man, the bullpen is loaded. And if you can get, if you have Darren O'Day waiting in the wings, in addition to a couple of the younger arms in Gwinnett, who could be in the mix. Uh, we talked about Kirby Yates. Seems like he's also going to be close. Um, and then, you know, with, with Ozzy, it is, look, man, like Orlando Arcia has done, I think, as well as anyone could have hoped for a player like that to do, filling in at second base most nights. But Ozzy Albies, as we know well, whenever he is going right, 
He is one of the game's best second basemen. Uh, just the energy that he brings to on the field, in the clubhouse, in the dugout. Uh, so for him to start ramping up baseball activities is really encouraging. And then, you know, we, we've said it for months now at this point, We're, we are all rooting for Mike Soroka. I think we have to proceed cautiously with that, just knowing the unprecedented nature of what he is trying to come back from. But hey, man, if Mike Soroka can get on a mound and throw competitive pitches at any point this year, no matter what level it is, it'll be really, really great for him. And hopefully it gives him some confidence as he builds up his strength. Uh, Because I think just mentally for Mike, I mean, being on a mound for the first time in years, uh, really since the injury, uh, is going to be a big hurdle for him. And if he can get through that a little a little bit before next year, I think it'd be really great. Yes, I would concur with all of that. I'm throwing a curveball at you because I meant to write this down and I didn't. Um, <laughs> we could do this every podcast, but uh, it feels to me, I'm not sure if you agree with me or not, um, that the uh, the outrage roar is building on uh, one Marcelo Zuna at this point, uh, probably because I believe he went one for the weekend. I think he's like one of his last, I don't know, 15 or 16 at the plate and his OPS is plummeting. Uh, Ozuna has been quite bad. I think it would have gotten, in fact, it was on my list to talk about before the Darno injury, because one of the very obvious things they could do to plug that hole would be to use William Contreras more often as a DH. So we don't have to do the entire Ozuna thing now because there's more, there's nuance here. But for right now, Scott, what is your current opinion on the usage of Marcelo Ozuna? Because there's a school of thought, like, look, they're, they're saddled with him for a while with the contract, et cetera. But uh, basically, without going all the way into the stats, for the last two seasons, he has been a strongly below average hitter over about a full size sample, like 600 plus plate appearances. And as we all know, if he's not hitting, he's not giving you any kind of value anywhere. So would you be, be like benching him? Uh, we, 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 don't, we don't have the power between the two of us, Scott, or the three of us, including Eric, to uh, DFA Marcelo Zuna. Um, but through the constraints of this roster, does he even have to play? Are you at, are, are you at that point? Because I think people kept asking me, and I think by yeah. proxy asking us in the podcast to talk about this, like, is it at the point where he just has to be benched, or you just kind of keep riding with him until we and just hope that he gets better? I mean, I'm 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 done. Like, I can't keep watching this. This is these are not even competitive at bats. Uh, like you said, man, he he can't hit, he can't field, he can't run. What does he do well? He hits the occasional home run. Yeah, I mean, he, but just, just to add that on, because I, I didn't give you any notes on this, uh, Ozuna does have, I think it's 27 home runs in that sample size. Um, and again, it's basically almost exactly one full season. It's like 150 games over the last two years, because of course he had the suspension and the uh, and the injury last year. But he, ha- he has 27 home runs, 26 home runs over that sample size, but that's not enough when... The, like, Basically, to only do to only be a power guy like that, you got to hit more home runs than that. Um, and look, like his OPS before today was 664 for the season. If Ozuna has a sub 400 slugging percentage, which is where he has right now, like that guy is blow replace level. And I think that there's a DH penalty in war and all that stuff. But even if you say, okay, on the bright side, he hasn't been playing defense for a while, nor should he play defense really ever at this point. But listen, like he played defense two weeks ago. Like I think that's probably because of Adam Duvall being injured at that point before the trade deadline, all, all that stuff. But still, like, I don't know, man. It's it's really bad. 
And I think right now, I would say with um, Darno unavailable, that like, yeah, I-, I get him playing, but it's really, really hard for me to have a reason to not DH Contreras when, oh, or, like, yeah, yeah, or, or Robbie Grossman, like or, I, yeah, or or even Darno, like, I mean, yeah. Grossman against the argument would be that Grossman against righties probably is worse than Ozuna at the plate. Maybe he's I, not. I would, I would bet against it. I bet if you told me right now that Marcelo Zuna and Robbie Grossman are going to each face 100 plate appearances <laughs> I guess right against pitcher. a right-handed pitcher, I would pretty confidently take Robbie Grossman because he, again, we're, you know, we're trying to find some positives. He looked really good this week. Like I, I was pretty impressed. He had some, Nice at bats. He hit the ball hard. I think he had two doubles in a limited number of, of plate appearances. Uh, earlier today, when the lineup came out and Ozuna was DHing and Robbie Grossman was on the bench, my my first reaction was, "Why isn't Grossman playing? Like, what more other than the contract?" And okay, they, I I have to give you this. It brings me no ple- no pleasure at all, Scott. No pleasure whatsoever <laughs> to say this to you, Marcel Ozuna. Has actually been okay against righties this year. He has a 7.32 OPS against right-handed pitching. Now, is that good? No, but but it is above league average. <laughs> and almost all of that though came in the first two months of. It the was year. all early. Yeah, you're, that's the thing. I mean, it was. Uh, I don't know. It's. If, I, I'm kind of with was, you. <laughs> if he was trending up, if he just started, I mean, basically his overall numbers. You know, you compare him to a guy like Eddie Rosario. Eddie Rosario got off to a horrendous start. And at the time we did not know he had the eye injury and then he came back and he was pretty bad the first couple of weeks. He was just getting his legs under him, but Eddie Rosario, I think pretty solidly is trending upwards. Marcelo Zuna is not trending upwards. No, he is not. And you mentioned, I, I, you know, I was tweeting about Marcel the other day, a couple of people responded with, well, he's going to hit 25, 30 home runs, you know? Okay. One, how many of those home runs have come? It's the Marcel Ozuna special when the score is like 10 to one. Uh, I was tweeting about it the other night and joked like, okay, Marcel's going to hit his weekly home run in a nine to one game. And sure enough, he hit a home run that night in a nine to one game. Like he's not hitting for, you know, you talk about hitting for power too. He's not hitting for anything other than the occasional solo home run. He isn't hitting doubles or triples he's pretty slow i mean th- this year this year is an example just of what you're saying Th- this this year's sample well okay let's just say out of out of courtesy we ignore last year pre-suspension pre-injury and just go this year only he has 19 home runs like it's not like he's not hitting home runs but like guess what he has 19 home runs and has an AWRC plus like and we're in we're in august we're in early august like he's he's on pace to hit 24 six 27 home runs and still be quite bad like it's possible to be quite bad hitting that hit, hitting that many home runs because like his obp right now do you have it in front of you because i'm not making guess if you don't guess his obp right now uh, i don't have it in front of me i'm gonna say it's like 275 it is 267 Oof. on base right now it is well, really and- really hard you, you you have to be you have to be basically be joey gallo to be potentially valuable with that obp well and I know we're a solid five minutes into the dump fest on Marcel here, but the guy is batting fifth in one of the best lineups in baseball. He has an all world talent at leadoff. He has the game's best shortstop batting second. 
He has a perennial 300 home run, 100 RBI guy batting third, and he might have the league MVP batting fourth. He has 42 RBI all <laughs> season long. Did you notice that he actually hit behind Grossman today? When they after they read his lineup with with he running coming batting, out, he should be batting 14th is where he should be batting because of how bad he has been. So to answer your question. I have zero optimistic optimism or hope. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he suddenly figures it out at age 33 or whatever he is. He's 31, 31, just 31. 31. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, to to go back to, I I don't think you outright bench him, but once Travis Darno comes back, you have to give Bill Contreras a couple of starts at DH per week. That's if, where I that, that's that's the only thing that I I cannot yeah. accept would be Contreras not DHing over Ozuna. If you want to tell me that you believe Marcel against because uh, the thing is against a le- against a lefty Gross is going to be playing left field anyway. So like if you want to tell me that that you just believe that Ozuna is better than Grossman, I'm not like super bothered by that against righties. But I can tell you this. There is no way to sell me that he is better than Contreras. And I think that we all know that. I think even Snit knows that. I think it's more about the catching thing, which is we we talked about Agnosium. It's ridiculous. Contreras has to play every day right now. He needs to catch. He needs to catch when he is catching. He needs to DH when he's not catching. He has been that good this year. Um, you could certainly say that you don't think that he's going to be this good long term, but uh our guy, Wild Bill, has a 141 WRC plus this year. He is mashing. Yeah, he has play. to play. And that's the one. That's the one that's gonna that's gonna drive me crazy. If, if, they, if they keep the if they keep the edge Ozuna over Contreras, I lose my mind. <laughs> right. And I know I've you know against it's all of like ten at bats, so I don't want to overreact to Robbie Grossman here. But again, he is a guy, as we talked about quite a bit on our Tuesday night uh, trade deadline podcast. He is a guy who has been a really good big league hitter for like five years now. This is not some 4A minor league fringe big league roster guy who the Braves are taking a shot on. Robbie Grossman was really good last year. So for all of those reasons, getting towards the end of the year, you obviously want to keep guys healthy. But it's not May where you you have 120 games left to go and you worry that if Contreras gets hurt while he's DHing, then all of a sudden you have this massive hole at catcher. Uh, no, we we have two months to go. Let's you have to start playing to win. If I'm the Braves, I know he has the contract, but you're paying Marcel whether he's in the lineup or he's not. Uh, we'll see. It's it's probably you know as far as a a real permanent decision goes, that would be something that would be settled, of course, in the off season. I would assume. Um, but and it's actually it's worth mentioning here quickly. Uh, Craig Mish, longtime friend of the podcast, Craig Mish of the Miami Marlins, reported the Braves actually discussed a Marcel Ozuna for uh, Acevedo Garcia, who uh, is equally having a bad year and is on an equally bad contract. Um, so clearly, n- no deal happened, but the front office is at least starting to think about ways to get rid of Marcel. And that, that rumor kind of flew under the radar, I think, in all the chaos of the trades. Uh, So clearly the front office, I mean, obviously the front office knows it has a problem with Ozuna. Uh, And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the playing time shakes out uh, over the next two months. 
Yep, that's well said. Anyway, I, I, that detour aside, I just thought people were asking, and I forgot to write this down on, on the doc. But yeah, I understand the questions. We may, we may not do this every episode, but um, yeah, it's been a relevant question for more than just this week, and I feel like we probably should tackle tackle at some point because we understand he's not he's not very good, and uh, you know even. Even if you remove the off-field stuff, it would be brutal. And then you throw the off-field stuff on there and it's even even worse. So, alas. Um, all right. Let's look ahead briefly here. Obviously, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the Braves are now six and a half games behind the Mets. They do have, as noted before, seven games left against New York, and they are all at Truist Park. So, the division is not uh, is not over by any means, um, in part because of that, and in part because there's seven weeks of baseball left. The Braves are obviously big underdogs in the division at this point in time. No matter how big of a Braves fan you are, no matter how optimistic you might be, they are the underdog. That's not a controversial statement at all. Down six and a half games. Um, but they have an opportunity. We've seen the Mets collapse before. We've seen the Braves make up, make up ground before. Um, but uh, just as a comparison tool, 538 had the Braves with a 50% chance to win the NL East on July 24th. That's about two weeks ago. Today, it is 9%. And they're projected to finish eight games behind the Mets in 538. Our friends at Fangraphs, this is a crazy one, Scott. Um, Fangraphs is now giving the Braves a better chance to win the World Series, which is about 10%, than they do to actually win the division, which is uh, around 8% at this point. So uh, that tells you, A, that the, the system still believe in the Braves' talent, enough to project a real like 10% chance of win the world series is, is a pretty real chance in, in a system like this. Um, but also like that kind of tells you how ugly the picture is in the national league East when you have a, ch- a better chance to win the world series on August 7th than you do to win your division on August 7th. That's uh, that's yeah. pretty wild. Well, and it's funny too, as we, we talk about the division, the Braves have a better record than the Mets since June one, sure which do. is two months and a week now. And I know yeah, I can already hear the Mets fans crying in my mentions, but like <laughs> the season started in April and not June. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I mean, this is a really good team. It may not necessarily feel like that right now if the, after they just lost, what, five out of seven to the Phillies and the Mets. But this is a really good team. And no matter how the postseason picture ultimately shakes out with the Braves, all of the pieces are here. Like we know this lineup when it's clicking is loaded you have some really good top end starting pitching and then we didn't even talk about like Rysel Iglesias who was nasty in his two appearances over the weekend he's good Kenley you have Kenley Jansen you have AJ Minter who threw some big pitches on Friday night in the win Um, as we know this is a very good bullpen so I know it's easy to hit the panic button this was a bad weekend for the Atlanta Braves but I think that Fangraphs number, a 10% chance to win the World Series, you know, that, that's pretty dang good, man. Like, it's it's obviously we want to win the division for a fifth year in a row, and it is far from over. But, uh, again, the division is not the only way that your season continues. Uh, really, I mean, we saw right last year and really the last couple of postseasons, you just want to get into the dance. If you're hot and you're built for October – you have a chance. And ultimately, I think, especially after the Braves won the World Series last year, now it's, it, you know, we want to be greedy. You want to get to the World Series. Sure, another division title would be really cool, but ultimately, seasons get evaluated by how you perform in October. Yep, that's all right. And uh, on this day, August 7th, a year ago, the Braves were 56 and 56. 
They were exactly 500 a year ago today. Now the division was much worse, which is why it felt <laughs> how it felt compared to how it feels now. And obviously they had the slow start last year, as we all discussed, but this is a good baseball team. Um, are they going to win the division? Uh, the answer is probably not. It's, it's, it's not definitely not, but it's probably not at this point. And we, we, we do have to say this. Um, the Braves are now much closer to Philly than they are to New York. Philly has been hot. They've won five games in a row. The Braves have only a three-game lead on the Phillies for uh, number one in the wild card race. In fact, the Braves are also closer to falling out of the playoffs entirely than they are to catching the Mets. They are five games ahead of the fourth wild card team, which is the Brewers right now, and they're six and a half games behind the Mets. Now, still Fangraphs, 538, BP, etc. They all have the Braves with a pretty high 90s chance to make the playoffs. So that is still obviously quite likely, but uh, it is not a complete and utter lock. The Braves can't just go into a tailspin here and make the playoffs. They're going to have to actually win. Um, they're going to win. I'm pretty confident in that at this point in time, but uh, it's just uh, it's an interesting situation because we, we spent so much time focusing on the division as we should, but um, the Phillies suddenly being hot and uh, some quality teams around them. It is no like picnic here. They can't just, uh, just cruise. And there are other goals than winning the division division always is the number one goal coming into the season every team will tell you that on top of of course winning the world series um but at this point you kind of need the mets to slow down a little bit i don't think the braves given how much time is left can win the division on their own they need the mets to uh give a little back i think just yeah that's well said so it's not like the braves can't do a lot on their own but you can't necessarily project the Braves to go out and, you know, finish with some crazy flurry and win 80% of their games. Like you probably have to be realistic there and say, that's probably not going to happen. And you need the Mets to kind of, you know, if the, if the Mets go 500 the rest of the way, the Braves have a pretty, pretty decent chance of winning the division. But if they play really well, it's a tough task and you have to look at other things. But what you said is perfect. Like, you know, the division title is huge. Everybody wants that. But in terms of actually the biggest goal of winning the World Series Winning the division doesn't do that much for you in winning the World Series. It's not that big of an advantage at this point. So yeah, it's not. And you know, it's funny. We talked, I think, last week about how the National League playoff picture was shaking out. But a bad week for the Braves and a weirdly bad week for the Padres after trading for Juan Soto and Josh Bell and Josh Hader. Baseball in Drury. Yeah, like <laughs> like now the Padres are effectively tied with the Phillies in the wild card. So for the no, actually, the, time... the Phillies have a half game lead on the Padres. How wow. about that? Oh yeah, tonight's game. They lost. Final. They just yeah. lost, yeah. So, I guess really I have two points with that statement. One, there is a lot of baseball to go. Right? We we have just under 2 months to go now until the playoffs begin. And two, if you, you you can't pay too much attention to the postseason picture, and I'm, I'm referring to fans, all of us in general, and it's tough, right? Like you want to look and see how other teams are doing, but so much is going to change. A week ago, the tune was, man, if the Braves don't win the division and they're the four seed, they're going to run into the Padres in the first round, and nobody wants to face the Padres with Tatis and Machado and Juan Soto, and, and you don't necessarily want to do that. But things are going to change in the postseason picture. The St. Louis Cardinals and the Philadelphia Phillies, who a month ago both looked fairly dead in the water with some injuries they had, are now both screaming hot. The Braves and Padres, who are playing terrific baseball, are now probably playing the worst baseball of the year. Um, it, it's just 
it's going to be ups and downs. We'll see where it all shakes out over the next couple of weeks and months. But uh, I know it's it's this is not a fun podcast to do. We were hoping the Braves were going to have a better week than two and five here, or two and what they go two and six. Goodness, um, <laughs> but th- this is still a really good roster. There's at least for me, right? The the calm voice of reason. No, just kidding. But I I mean. I am not panicking. My panic level is no, at like no. a 1.5. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And like just, you know, team quality wise, this is one thing. But if you look at, if you just remove the uh, division leaders and look at the wild card standings, which are, you know, obviously a playoff spot. There are three wild card teams this year, by the way, as a reminder. The Braves have the most runs scored and the fewest runs allowed in the entire wild card race right now. They are very obviously the best team in the wild card race and they have a three game lead right now on even number two, much less number three, number four, et cetera. So they're in great shape there. There's a reason why they have 95% plus playoff odds. Uh, and uh, yeah, still seven games against the Mets. If, if, you, if you could just pencil in six and one against the Mets, which you obviously cannot do, but if you did that, they'd have a real chance. Um, so, you know, the one thing you want, I'm sure, I'm sure someone will say this if they have not said it already into a microphone in the next couple of days on the Braves roster about the Mets is that we see them seven more times and we control our own destiny. Those kind of things. If the Braves go out and beat the Mets the rest of the way, they can make up the ground. And uh, there you go from there. So um, as for this week, they only have six games only. And also they're only on five days. They, so they're off Monday and off on Thursday. They play a two game series in Boston on Tuesday and Wednesday. The Red Sox have uh, been in a tailspin, by the way. They are the dead last team in the, in the American League East right now. They've been pretty bad for a while, so that's a decent spot to be in despite being a road series. Then after the off day on Thursday, they have a four-game series in Miami that features a doubleheader on Saturday. The Marlins are not like abjectly terrible, but they're not very good either. So this is a situation where they're playing six games on the road this week, but none of them are terribly difficult. On paper, um, you know, clearly anytime you have to play the Marlins, um, and I believe they see Al- Alcantara as part of that series, um, he is their best pitcher. If, if he pitches, then that's obviously a little bit scary. But if he doesn't pitch, if you avoid him, that's even better. So we'll see. Yeah, a couple of teams that started out pretty well and are, are going the wrong way. The Red Sox had a weird trade deadline. They didn't completely sell, but they also did sell. I, I don't know what – I mean, I think their GM is – generally a pretty smart guy and then Boston went out and had maybe one of the weirder trade deadlines in recent years and then the injuries have caught up to Miami uh, they did not really sell either at the deadline but um, I believe old friend Jorge Soler is still on the injured list I the, think they, Jess- they actually they kind of tried to sell and they basically couldn't because they had like betw- between injuries and you talked about Avisel Garcia earlier like the Marlins yeah. basically from all the reporting were like everyone's available other than Alcantara and they didn't really sell because they just kind of couldn't. Like they had some valuable guys, but they were trying to sell low. But you know, at at present, they're not they're not very good. So. No, they don't they don't have jazz. I think uh, Garrett Cooper, who kills the Braves, has been really banged does. up a little bit as well. So yeah, I mean, it's it's six games against teams that the Braves should be able to beat. Hopefully, they go out. Uh, it's never fun having an off day right after you have a bad weekend series with everybody has a bad taste in their mouths, but if you can go into Boston, take advantage of a, a uh, disappointing Red Sox team uh, and then go to Miami and beat up on a Marlins team that just doesn't have nearly the amount of talent or depth that you have. Hopefully you can get back on track um, and, and, you know, just start to find yourself a little bit more. It was just a, a frustrating week, especially in New York. 
but this you know this is not a bad team. There's just too much talent here, especially with some of the trade deadline acquisitions. Uh, hopefully the days off give them a chance to hit the reset button. Uh, maybe they make a couple of roster moves as well. That will only help. Uh, but yeah, just a, a tough week, but brighter days are on the horizon. Yeah, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, next week on the on this show. But uh, after that series of games it, with in Boston and Miami, they come home to play four against the Mets next Monday through Thursday. And uh, obviously, those are very, very big games. In fact, next week is a, a gauntlet. Just to look ahead a little bit, it's the Mets for four, and then the Astros come to town for three. And the Astros are awesome. So any World Series rematch, of course. So that'll be a lot of fun. We'll get into that next week, as always. Um, Scott, thank you for giving me all the time on this Sunday evening. We talked, as always, or at least as often, for a very, very long time. Uh, anything to plug other than this wonderful podcast network that has four different podcasts on it? That's right, yeah. Please uh, please tell a friend, like, subscribe. We really do appreciate all the support. It's a busy time of year, and we'll keep it rolling uh, over the next couple of weeks and months. and. Hopefully some some better days on the horizon as we talked about. So thanks, Brad. Always great to do one of these with you, my friend, and hope you are doing well. You as well, my friend. Uh, please subscribe to the show. Again, as Scott said, we'll have uh, The Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman this week. We'll have Road to Atlanta, I'm sure. We'll have Chris and Steven's show. We'll have more from Battery Power Podcast, etc. All of it in one place. Please subscribe, tell a friend, and we'll see you next time. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.